Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the program. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, New York City is one of the most difficult places to pull off a renovation on time and on budget. Homeowners often underestimate the uh, level of planning, coordination, permitting involved, and money it'll take to get it done, not to mention the surprises that can appear when you open up the walls of the city's historic housing stock, and that always is a shock. The key to any smooth renovation from a bathroom upgrade to a full-on gut depends on one thing, preparing it for preparing it rather ahead of time. We will talk to two experts who are here this morning about the process. Also at this hour, the arrival of a neighbor, neighborhood's first Starbucks is often seen as a signal of imminent gentrification. When uh, news spreads that the coffee giant would be planting a flag in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, here in New York, displacing part of an expansive discount department store, Fat Albert, there were mixed emotions. Why? We will uh, discuss gentrification and how marquee establishments can help. But first, I'd like to work on my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and again, you're listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, last year, 4.2 million people visited the Empire State Building's observation deck throughout their Fifth Avenue, through rather, their Fifth Avenue lobby. What the visitors may not have realized is that the office employees were using the same entrance. Thankfully, the workers will no longer have to wade through crowds of wayward tourists every day. A new entrance officially opened yesterday from the famous Midtown Supertall, designed to accommodate the large numbers of visitors and create a more engaging experience. Last week, a media tour was given of what will become the new observation deck uh, entrance located on 34th Street. This comes as part of the overall billion-dollar revamp of the iconic tower announced in 2009. Empire State Realty Trust is responsible for the development. A billion-dollar renovation of a lobby? I mean, okay, whatever. Excessive. Along West Broadway between Warren Street and Murray Street, a new 55,000-square-foot residential uh, project is underway at 61 Warren Street, now known as 75 West Broadway. Evacuation, uh, excavation rather, on the northern end of the site is complete, and now foundation walls are beginning to form. The 10-story, 120-foot-tall project is located in the heart of Tribeca, developed by Cape Advisors and Form Absolute Capital Partners and is being designed by BKSK Architects. New permits have been filed that reveal 50 Hudson Yards will rise to 1,011 feet. This brings the tower further into the super tall territory before it was one foot above the official minimum 984 feet or 300 meters. It is unclear though how or if this will affect the overall design. The tower is the last of Hudson Yards' first phase to start construction and will coincidentally be the largest uh, in floor area. And finally this morning, Constantine Costas Condolis, one of Manhattan's most prolific architects and designers, died last Friday. He was 78. During his 50-year career in the city, he designed more than 86 buildings, including Trump World Tower, Silverstein Properties, Silver Towers, the Moynian Groups, the Atelier, and J.D. Carlisle Developments, 1 Morton Square. Elsewhere, he designed the W Hotel and Residence in South Beach, when he first came to New York in the late 1960s, Condolis was an unknown. He was born in Central Africa and attended boarding school in his parents' native country of Greece. He received his master's in architecture from the University of Gen- uh, Geneva in Switzerland, but went on to get a second master's from Columbia University here in New York City 
1967. He was a powerhouse in New York City architecture. We have special guests this morning. We're going to talk about architecture and the smart way to renovate. So Dixon Projects has completed more than 800 renovations across New York's metropolitan area from single room projects and quick kitchen remodels to full gut renovations and historic brownstone renovations driven by a full service in-house team of professionals. Dixon Projects is well positioned to handle your project no matter the size or scale. Find out how they can offer you tailored solutions backed by award-winning design and white glove services. Dixon Projects is not just another flashy design build firm that tells you what you want to hear and encourages you to spend beyond your means. Instead, they paint an honest picture by providing an education in construction using real numbers, real designs, real schedules, and real results. They are a one-stop shop for your design, renovation, and construction needs. Avoid dealing with multiple city agencies. They will do it all for you. With that said, I have two client reps uh, who are here today from Dixon, and they will explain uh, their process. Alistair Evans, number one, as a business development manager with Dixon Projects, he actively engages with external um, stakeholders to determine their personal and business objectives, ensuring both are met and continually optimized. Alistair developed his expertise from working as a corporate relationships manager at Western Union uh, Business Solutions, taking the lead on over 150 corporate accounts across a broad range of industries. He received his Bachelor of Business with a focus in economics and finance applied from Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. He has also earned the membership of the Golden Key International Honor Society for Outstanding academic performance while completing his degree in his spare time do you have spare time he enjoys an active lifestyle of exploring the outdoors traveling water skiing and playing golf there you go Next up is Louis Fasolo. Fasolo uh, is a project supervisor on Dixon Projects, pl- a private client team. On his team, he provides Dixon's construction services and ultimately delivers a wide array of renovated commercial and residential projects. In his role, Louis successfully delivers high-end brownstones, retail spaces, commercial builds-out, and any other large or small-scale projects that come his way. Lewis developed his expertise while working as an acoustics engineer in Sydney, Australia. Way to go. And at Rio Tinto as a project manager in Perth. Lewis received his Bachelor's of Engineering from the University of Western Australia in his spare time. He also enjoys surfing, snowboarding, and golfing. So I guess you two do a lot of golfing Amen. together, correct? Amen. Yeah. I'll join you. We got to create a whole take you on golf. Tracy and I are going to take you in golf. You got to do something to relieve the tension. Good morning, gentlemen, and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks, Vince. Um, so let, let's start with, you know, what is what is actually a design-build firm? So so the, the listening audience out there globally around the world understands what exactly is a design-build firm. Because we have all kinds of definitions for renovations and architecture and and whatever, but help us understand what your firm is all about. Definitely, yeah. So a design-build firm, uh, Vince, is where all the design and construction services are managed under the one roof, uh, which provides the client a really streamlined and and efficient approach uh, for any of their design and construction requirements. Uh, And what that means is, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, it's a a streamlined and, and uniformed approach the design and construction services, which which then sees uh, you know advantages uh, as opposed to the traditional design bid build firm, which is you, your architect and, and general contractor. Insofar as there's uh, there's time savings along the way, as everyone is uh, you know, it is all managed in house, and with the time savings, you can also see cost benefits and also increased uh, project quality as well. 
So as a business development manager, which is your title at Dixon, so you kind of go out as the salesperson and uh, and find the the jobs, right? You're the one who's out yeah. there schmoozing, as we say, with I the clientele to <laughs> understand their renovation needs and requirements, and to also, you know, bring it back in house and explain it to the project managers as to what needs to happen. Um, Lewis, so how do you get involved after you know the gig, as they say, is brought in house for, I guess, analysis or observation? Where do you step in, or do you step in only when the project goes to project? Right, yeah. So, so my involvement really comes as early as possible um, in that client interaction phase um, with me and Alistair sort of working with the client and work out what their needs are and, and exactly what they want to achieve um, and then sort of move that into the construction and design phase of the project, um, bring in the interior designers, the architect um, and the day-to-day project management um, team just to make sure that, that really nothing is missed. So really bringing everyone together to execute um, really, the, the dream um, project that the client has. Now, it sounds like it's pretty standard for a, a, a design firm. However, I happen to know, because you guys were personally recommended to me, that you are a little bit above and beyond the norm out there, in well, at least in this town, um, for these types of firms. So tell us why you, know, you feel like Dixon Project stands out above the rest, because there are lots of renovators out there. There are a lot of companies out there that provide the same service. For many, many years and some just starting. But why are you guys, what is your value add? What is very different about you? Definitely. And I think, you know, it it stems from, uh, you know, we've been here for close to a decade now. We've achieved a lot in that that time. Uh, I think, as you mentioned at the start of the show, there's been over 800 renovations, residential and commercial, that we've completed which is a huge number of projects, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's such a, cheers. Yeah, we've been uh, yeah, running around. Uh, yeah, so and golf in the middle of all those 800. Yeah. Yeah. And serving and snowboarding. Yeah. 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 Every, every 100, <laughs> so eight rounds. Yeah. <laughs> With yeah. their clients. With their clients. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that, and that is yeah, really, you know, that the, the sheer number of, uh, of projects we've completed and, and the diversity of those projects as well. It's it's not just a, you know, a townhouse renovation, uh, you know, or you know, residential renovation. It's you know, it's commercial as well, which we're uh, which we're starting to move into. Which that's Lewis, another whole animal, though. Right? Yeah, well, Lewis is our. Uh, he's been dubbed the in-house uh, commercial specialist, and a title that he runs with. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah, closely. Ma- uh, ma- uh, mazel tov, as they say. Mazel tov. Yeah. That's a mazel tough one. <laughs> mazel tov. I learned in the mother country. It's mazel tov. Mazel tov. Okay. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. I can't <laughs> oh say God. that. Amazing. Well, you ain't in another country right now. <laughs> when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little more, get more into detail as to what these renovations are all about—bathrooms, kitchens, whatever. But one of the things that struck me is, you know. Because a lot of firms here in New York City, regardless of what they specialize in, a lot of people don't want to take on small jobs. And that's one of the biggest problems we have here in New York City. You have a small yes. bathroom renovation. You have a small kitchen renovation. You have minor little you know, updates or whatever. And a lot of firms don't want to do that. But what I read all over your bios and all over you know, your webpage is that you guys do take on small projects right up to you know, major you know, brownstone renovations and now commercial uh, uh, renovations, which is not a small task. Why or how do you play in smaller uh, renos? And by the way, do those clients get the same personal care and touch as the, the larger clients do? Because that's a biggie. Yeah. The leading question, Vince. Absolutely. No, those clients aren't. No, <laughs> no the uh, yeah. So we 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 look to be you know, as diverse as possible. Because I have to, a little job and I can't find anybody. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. The uh, yeah, and we we will be you know we've completed a number of you know kitchen and bathroom renovations and so forth and 
uh, we can be, you know, as nimble and as, as flexible as possible to have a big, large office down in the financial district of you know, some 180 people or so, uh, all working together, yeah, to uh, you know, to achieve that one goal for the for that end client. Santa's uh, workshop. Just <laughs> working on bathrooms. Yeah. 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 Stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, the Ryan Serhan of renovations. <laughs> so, so basically, no job is small enough, right? Well, I guess yeah. The there is probably a, a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit of background to that. The the, the, the best value from our side and what we'd, we would encourage uh, you know, from our clients is you know, other larger scale jobs, but by all means, yeah, we can assist with, uh, you know, with bathroom and kitchen renovations uh, and, and what, we've, uh, you know, we, we, what we've done so in the past. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back on the other side of the break and get more into the actual renovation at hand. We have to leave it there. We're taking a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back in a little bit of a commercial. Getting the band back together is a new Broadway musical that's got variety cheering. It feels so good to laugh real laughs on Broadway. And the New York Times raves, it's a feel-good and genuinely funny show. Audiences have been laughing, have not laughed this hard since the Book of Mormon. So get your tickets now to Getting the Band Back Together featuring Mary Lou Henner. It's a laugh-out-loud musical you need to see right now. Visit Getting the Band Back Together I saw it a couple of weeks ago with Matthew actually here, and it actually was toe-tapping and wonderful, so do that. You guys anyway, had a theater date? How exciting. We, we had did. a theater date. So Check out social media every so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us are too busy working. Sorry. You, oh, my yes, Tracy <laughs> speaking. <laughs> Miss Miami over here. In the morning, in yes. the evening, you know, there's always time. Always. Social media is big. All right, getting back to renovation and these guys that are here with us today, let's talk a little bit about the specifics. So the value add to 
to building and designing, let's start with, say, uh, a townhouse, the cost, the specific, you know, ingredients, as I call them, and the project scope. How do you work with clients? Because one of the things I've always kind of, you know, shied away from when people say, well, I need to renovate and I've got this kind of money. They don't really understand all the details or all the elements that go into it. What what is what is your you know thing with this? Right. Yeah. I mean, look, Vince. It's the uh, the question that always gets raised, and I wish I had a um, a cut and dry answer for you. The um, you know we've done full full townhouse renovations um, out in Jersey City Heights for around two hundred dollars a square foot, um, and we're currently completing a larger scale uh, renovation in in West Village for close to a thousand dollars a square foot. So there is really a huge range there, and. Um, you know, we work very closely with the client to, to maximize, you know, the money that they're spending and really achieve the value that, that they're after. Um, you know, things that sort of drive that cost, for example, in the West Village project is, you know, major extensions, um, excavation underpinning, um, an elevator, um, a roof deck and, and what comes with a renovation like that. Now, let me ask you something. So let's take, ta- again, townhouses. So are they typically for you guys total guts or are they just kind of, you know, fixing up or renovating around, you know, the existing bones and structure? Because a lot of what I see are total guts, like floors removed and then recreated all over again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think um, a good portion are guts, um, but we sort of have done many strips and sort of minor partition changes and additions to to brownstones as well. It's really a case by case. Um, I think, as you know, a lot of the brownstones in the city um, are dilapidated and, mm. and do require a, a major renovation um, and projects of that scale is where you'll see a lot of value in, in some of the services we offer. Um, and you can really, you know, have a smooth layout and an ideal layout for the specific client as well. Let's talk about some of the complications that arise when you get into a project. I mean, whether it's big or small, but sticking with the townhouse for a minute. You know, I read at the beginning uh, of the show off the copy here that, you know, sometimes there are major surprises when you go into the walls of these wonderful historic houses or apartments in New York City. What are some of the things that you see when you get into these walls and when you start breaking things down. I mean, we all watch HGTV, but, you know, real life stories <laughs> here in New York. What do you find? Yeah. It's not real life. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. What? <laughs> yeah. Look, Vince, I think, um, you know, once you start opening out the walls, you do find some major structural issues, um, some of which you can be preemptive about and, and sort of um, do some probes and, and investigate prior to opening the walls. Um, other issues are sort of, um, leaks that are causing issues to the foundations, um, some some plumbing, sewage lines, or other things. Um, I think a lot of the complications don't really stop with what's behind the walls. I think um, you know some of the landmarks applications are you know huge brutal. scrutiny, brutal. Um, so I think that's something that uh, you know you have to have front of mind during the design phase to make sure that you don't experience any significant delays during the permitting and approvals phase. Um, but, you know, with any renovation, there are exciting opportunities and there's also, you know, some complications that can arise as well. Alistair, so you get, inv- get involved from the beginning when you're out there seeking clients and you're talking to clients and you're selling, yep. you know, your services. So how, how do you stay involved in the process or do you? Uh, and do you come back at the end when it's finished and say, hey, you know, are you guys happy and what's going on and, you know, all mm-hmm. of this stuff? How much do you stay involved or do you? I mean, I'm a salesperson. Yeah. I've been a salesperson for all my life. I kind of know where I need to step in and out. But I mean, yeah. is this the same for you or, or 
Yeah, exactly the same. It's uh, you know, as much as the client you know requires that you know the hand to be held and uh, you know throughout that initial process, and um, and again, like when you know, when they do enter that design and and then construction phase, a lot of the time it will be the project manager that will that will take the lead on that. But you know, right. when you do have that initial contact and uh, you know with the client, and it is nice to you know to nurture them throughout, and some do yeah again like to be you know much more you know hands on and. Uh, and, and that engagement, while others, you know, uh, yeah, love. What do you find that the, the, I guess, the average or the general temperament is of the clients out there when they embark upon a renovation, whether it's small or large? Because we all know what people are about, and this is the real estate business, and we here as real estate agents learn through our journey how to deal with people and their emotions and their whatever. How do you see or what do you see? Uh, coming from people when they have to get involved in a very significant renovation, a gut renovation of a townhouse, a gut renovation of a large apartment in New York. Are they tense? Are they okay? What's the demeanor generally? Uh, yeah, You're I mean, laughing, so I guess yeah. I can probably figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, uh, yeah, I've been right in the call face for, for a number of those clients. I think um, generally the temperament is quite anxious and excited, um, you know, and really wanting to lean on someone who, who can plan out the project um you know planning's key and i think that you know with the right team around some of these these clients they can really have a peace of mind that it's going to be um delivered successfully yeah oftentimes people get a little rattled but i know most of the people that i've, I've gone through renovations with um have always come out on the other end being very happy and very satisfied because you start with something that's old and 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 you know tattered and really needs to be updated and then you see a finished product and it's really quite amazing. What do you? What is your your biggest satisfaction, Alistair, when you finish a project? I mean, what do, what do people tell you, or how do you feel about you know the the project at hand when it's finished? I mean, we 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 all go on to the next, of course. But what what's the what kind of satisfaction do you get from that? I think it's it's really is you know when you do bring their dream to reality, and uh, there's definitely testing times throughout the uh, throughout the entire process, and and moments when. It would appear as though things aren't going to happen, and, and so forth, and and it, and it could be. You know, it feels like you know the the end is there's just there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. But you know the I guess the satisfaction from a client when you know they walk through their uh, you know their home and or, you know or apartment for that nature, uh, yeah, and then, and the smile on their face from seeing you know these design ideas and uh, and so forth that have. That are now, uh, you know, a fixture, a fitting, or uh, you know, countertop, or you know, for whatever that is. It's uh, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a great feeling and very satisfying. What is your favorite um, type of renovation? I mean, is it a full renovation? Is it a bathroom, a kitchen, or this? Well, I mean, what what is your favorite renovation? Um, probably slightly biased. I'm, I'm currently working on a fantastic commercial renovation at the moment with um, a really smooth operator in in hole in the wall. Um, They've got three locations. We're working on their second at the moment in the American Copper Building, um, and I think the uh, I think the interaction you have with a with a commercial operator and sort of alleviating some of that stress to allow them to to focus on actually getting the operation up and running is something that's extremely rewarding. Um, and and that hospitality industry is something very exciting. To let, let's talk a little bit about um, the approval process and what's needed for with permits and stuff. A lot of people think that they can just embark upon a renovation large or small, and, and just say, well, I own the apartment or I own the house and I can just do what I want to do. But but we all know in the background that it takes a lot more than that. Let's 
also take aside the the, the historic landmark stuff, which can be a, a blessed nightmare. But what are the types of approvals and permits that are needed? And what is the process to go through that? Because, again, a lot of people kind of sidestep that, not thinking that that's necessary. Right. Yeah, no, great question. There's, I guess the initial phase of, of any project is really putting together the plans and making sure all those plans are drawn up to code and, um, you know, are conforming with any of the regulations. So, you know, it may have a, a four-family brownstone that you want to convert to a one-family, for example. You put together a really detailed set of drawings and then have to file that with the building department. So there's a number of different filing strategies you can, you can do. As we um, call the DOB. Yeah, correct, correct. Um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, firstly, you probably want a, a great expediter on your team. Um, but, you know, on top of that, you've got to really work out what the most effective method is as far as scheduling and as far as um, maybe the safety um, involved in having a really clean approvals process. Um, so it is really about having a strategy going into that, that phase. Yeah, because, again, that can be a showstopper in a lot of cases. And a lot of people also, like I said in the beginning, you know, they think, oh, we can do this or that. Forgetting the permits that are involved and forgetting that you need to get, you know, DOB approval, that can also be stretched out and take a very long time. So all that planning needs to go into uh, the process when you're thinking about it up front. Um, Alistair, how do you find, and we have a few minutes left in the segment, how do you find um, your clients? How can we help you find your clients? What do you do on a day-to-day basis to get the word of Dixon Projects out there and come yep. back home to the ranch, so to speak, with you know, <laughs> another yeah. bag of, of customers to, to, to pass on to, to work with? Yeah, well, it's been it's been nice. You know, it's fairly organic, and and uh, you know, so far the it's been very much word of mouth driven, and we have a great presence, you know, across you know the the New York metropolitan area, with uh, you know, with with you know, um, yeah, residents and uh, and potential clients who've you know, who've seen our work and or are seeing our work of of projects where uh, we're completing. Do you so, talk to agents and in brokerage houses and and you know do presentations to show them what you guys have done or who you are. And I think, you know, with any business in this town, because there is so much competition, uh, awareness probably is the, the operative word. You got to get yourself out there. However you do, we as real estate agents have to find new opportunities all the time. So you got to put yourself out there as they do do a lot of that. I mean, to generate interest and, and steam. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's been great to, uh, to connect with a number of you know, agents. There's you know, Ari here is, uh, you know, has been, uh, has been great for us. Yeah. To, uh, you know, over the past you know, 12 months or so. And, uh, and you know, that, and that relationship with, with the brokers in which yeah, we look to provide that, that value add from the, from the design and construction side and, and be their construction experts. Uh, you know, if, if their clients do come to them with any, any construction related queries, We'd love to be that team that uh, that can assist them and and assist you know the client in uh, in answering you know, any construction related you know, questions for what they're what they're looking to do and that's on the, on the sell or the buy side. All right, uh, Dixon Projects. Their services include acquisition, uh, planning, approvals and permitting, expansion, restoration and rehabilitation, architecture, interior design, construction and procurement. Louis Faslow, Alistair Evans, thank you so much. You're going to stay with us for the rest of the show. We will be right back with the rest of our esteemed panel, and we're going to talk about some hot topics. So please, it will be informative and hysterical. Don't go away. (laughs) 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we have Matthew Cohen here from CORE, Ari Herkoff from uh, Holstead Real Estate, Tracy Hammersley, Douglas Elliman, and John Harrison, also from CORE today, and Alistair and Lewis are staying with us. And I didn't remember it in the, in the middle of the segment, but Ari has had personal experience with these two guys from Dixon Projects. They are actually renovating his home, so give us a second or two or five about sure, your experiences with plug. what's happening. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I think, so I'm a real estate broker, I do some development work, and I'm also renovating my own brownstone. And so I think, you know, one of the keys we always talk about in our business is managing expectations. So whether it comes to timeline or costs, I think a lot of what these guys talk about is just helping the end consumer understand what things are going to look like ahead of time so that there are no surprises. So like, for example, um, you know, we talk a little bit about landmarks. So I own a landmark brownstone. And so I knew it would take approximately six months to get approved LPC, Landmark Preservation Commission plans, before I could even think to file with the DOB. So if you know that ahead of time, it's not this like horrible surprise and it's not so scary and it just sort of is what it is. It's six months. Um, if you don't know that ahead of time and you're stressed out and you're carrying two homes and you're living in a rental and whatever, that's when people start to go crazy. So I think it's about managing you can those crazy, expectations. You can still go crazy. They'll find a way to go crazy. So I'll, give, calm, though, I'll give a little side anecdote if you want to know how fun Landmarks is. So. Um, <laughs> um, Landmarks bases their approval on the facade of a home based on a 1930s tax lot photo, which, by the way, is black and white. Mm-hmm. So we submit our plans, and the plans include um, a black outline around our facade windows. So the commissioner comes back and says, we need, we need these to be brown. And we said, but the photo is black and white. <laughs> no, but it's brown. It's brown. You can see the way the sun's hitting it in the 1930s Stop photo, it. black and white. No. These need to be brown. The way that's the sun is wild. hitting it. Yes, exactly. So that's what happens with landmarks. Um, but if you can get over that, it's about understanding kind of the timeline. And then, you know, in terms of the cost perspective, we work with a lot of clients and users as well who are looking to renovate brownstones or larger scale renovations. And, you know, as they were talking about, there's a huge range on a per square foot basis. But I think you can ballpark some rough estimates based on sort of the quality of work you're doing and the scope of the work that you're doing. Um, so I particularly hired these guys because I felt that they had an enormous amount of experience and having done, you know, 600 plus townhouse renovations or whatever it is, um, I felt that the issues that we would encounter, they had been through before and I was willing to pay for that expertise so they could say, okay, we've seen this happen before. This is how we dealt with it and this is how we managed it. So valuable. Um, 
And I think it's essentially what our clients come to us for as brokers. Like, okay, we've seen this issue before. We have this contractual problem. Like, how do we get over it? Um, and so that was really the experience I was paying for. And then the fact that they are also a huge fund and a large firm. And I knew that they weren't a fly-by-night sort of operator. And they were going to just go away. And they have an actual office with people that I can talk to. And like, 780 or yes, something like that. 780. They just hired 600 people on this call. Um, <laughs> it's going to be 1,080 in one more hour. <laughs> exactly. The CEO was going to love us after this. <laughs> um, and hiring. And, and like, I mean, like, so like we're dealing with some issues right now and we actually haven't physically started the work yet, but we're dealing with issues right now. And it's sort of like, okay, we have this problem. How have you guys dealt with this in the past? And I can get an answer as opposed to like, I don't know, we'll kind of figure out as we go. What has the timeline been for the start and finish of your project? So uh, in terms of uh, architectural planning, design, landmark approval, and um, DOB approval, I would say that process probably took 9 to 12 months. Um, and then in terms of the physical work, uh, these guys are telling me it'll take 6 to 8, so I'm assuming 9 to 12, um, uh, with all due respect. Uh, <laughs> so, we're, so, we're, so we're talking two years. Two years. <laughs> yeah, two years. Which is pretty it's standard for, uh, for a townhouse yeah. anyway, yeah. so yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's about right. Yeah, two yeah. years. Okay. Um, and, and I think that um, it's amazing. You know, we get these clients who say, like, I'm going to buy this, you know, three-bedroom apartment and I'm going to move in in three months after I renovate. And uh -huh. like, no, you're not even going to finish the plans in three months. That's the fallacy. And that's what we tried to bring out here today. It's more than just saying, oh, I can get you. It's not a house in the suburbs where you call yep. your cousin, your uncle, your brother. And, then, you yep. know, before you know it, you know, stuff is done in three days. But yep. no, not here. It's just managing expectations, understanding the variability around like, what am I going to find behind the walls? Or we open this up and we realize because we did this, we probably should do this. And that's going to be an extra, you know, whatever. I mean, we had a client on President Street and Park Slope who had 30 change orders on his job. Obviously, totally a mismanaged job. Oh, my goodness. 30 change orders. By the wow. way, each change order is like 10 grand a pop. Oh, that's $300,000. Totally. totally. Um, so it's about managing these expectations up front. And also, and I always tell every client, is building in a proper contingency, like a real contingency fund. Um, I Dixon often says 5%. Um, and having that cushion so when there are the problems, like, okay, we allocated the funds for this. We knew there would be problems. If you go in assuming there will be none and you're going to be on budget, there that's when you have a problem. There are always surprises. Always we can, surprises. We can label problems, surprises, issues, whatever, but mm -hmm. there are always surprises. You just never know what may never happen. Know. And we said it at the start, you open up the walls and, oh, make the sign of the cross because you just don't know what's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Very effective. I mean, or you know. your neighbors, you don't know, like you may have everything sorted out, but if it's your first time to do it, you don't realize how quickly your neighbors can call like a stock work order on you. All they don't like of, that oh, you left the trash sure. too close to the street or something All like that, so they call you. We've yeah. seen that many, many times. All right, so moving on from renovations to gentrification, sort of the same <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> the arrival of a neighborhood's first Starbucks is off seen as a signal of imminent gentrification when news spread that the coffee giant will be planting its flag in Bed-Stuy, displacing and uh, Ari, you got to tell me what the uh, Albert, Fat Albert store, I don't even know what that is, but it was going to be <laughs> taking over it. an expansive department store called Fat Albert. There were mixed emotions, this according to City Council Member Robert Cornegi, who represents a 36th district. The idea that they have been so closely associated with the negative tenants of gentrification sent a red flag up immediately in the community. So when Starbucks shows up anywhere, it seems as if the trajectory of the community changes dramatically. All right, so why is that? We all have our impressions of what Starbucks is, why it exists, but it, is, it seems to have a major impact when it arrives, sometimes unannounced, in a neighborhood. Right. Well, remember, it's, it's not, I don't think it's that because Starbucks is there, now the neighborhood is going to go on this big 
huge growth. I think it's that by the time Starbucks signs a lease, they've already done a ton of research. Yeah, that's, right. They've that's already that's watched. They've already researched like who's moving in, what are the trends, what type of permits could be uh, are being pulled at the time. So they're just really predictive. I think about you know they're landing their place. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're they're tracking foot traffic. That's like just the really big indicator. Really yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. They're, so they're they're the, the, so their thought is that if they do land in this neighborhood, it's probably going to be a good thing. They're certainly not going to go in a place where their data says it's correct. not a good thing, right? They're correct. not just going. I mean, they have so many locations, and occasionally they do close their locations. But they're not just. They don't have the money just to throw at places without some research to show that there would be some foot traffic. I think, like in Brooklyn, there are a couple layers to gentrification that people think about. So one is you look at like the mom and pop stores versus like the big box, big retail like Starbucks. And people inherently don't like big retail chains. So that's just an issue, I think, over many many socioeconomic brackets. So I think that's one of the issues. One of the other issues is that the idea is like, okay, you know, we're displacing these people and these generations, people who've lived here for generations, okay. and we're displacing them with more affluent people who are generally of, uh, of different ethnicity and different, yeah. you know, racial makeup. Um, and so there are obviously a lot of concerns around that. Um, and then there's this whole idea that like New York has become kind of unaffordable for quote unquote normal people and be, has become kind of like Disneyland for rich people. And is that actually a good thing? Um, and I think you layer all that in and then Starbucks is kind of like the pinnacle of that because it's everything Caucasian, wealthy, big box, all in one, wrapped in one package. Ari, I'm going to always remember the Disneyland for the rich. <laughs> Disneyland for the rich. <laughs> Ari, I actually okay. thought you say the three levels are Starbucks, uh, Whole Foods, and Equinox. But, yeah. uh, that works you know, too. Then well, SoulCycle. Right. Well, that, that works. SoulCycle right. is the yeah. fourth. Yeah. 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 Absolutely right. <laughs> that, that, that totally works. And by the way. Is that a bad thing? No. And I'm asking well, that's that's It's not you know? all good and bad. And also right. Starbucks is one of the few uh, gentrifying factors or factor that residents don't hate. So I have a friend who works it's in the like, real well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not a Starbucks fan, so well, I don't understand the phenomenon. Are you a, are you a Dunkin' gen- Donuts no, no. boy? Is that what's coming out here? Okay, <laughs> yeah, are, are you like a no, no. guy on the street? La Colombe? Hold on, in the sense, okay. of, in the sense of gentrification, not in the sense of coffee drinking. So <laughs> I have a friend who works in the real estate division of Starbucks, and he what said that they're very, time. very creative about how they choose their locations. It's not as easy as like Whole Foods, and if you look at where they end up, and different you know supermarkets and Soul Cycle and Equinox, they're very creative. They even look at Instagram accounts. They've told me um, about dietitians and people who are very new in the diet influencer world. Wow! Um, and I actually have an exact example because one of my clients who just moved to Bushwick, she's a um, diet influencer, lifestyle influencer on Instagram. And they called her to talk about Bushwick and talk about her neighborhood. So um, in the sense, I find of residents, residents don't get as unhappy about something like Starbucks as they do about bigger um, you know, corporations like like a Whole Foods. I remember in Harlem when Starbucks came on 125th and Lenox, it was not a big deal. Um, people were extremely open to it at the time. There was no real, you know, major corporation in that five block vicinity, but Obviously, when they put, they started to do the homework for Whole Foods and what's now, you know, Whole Foods, Burlington Co. Factory, there's like a Staples mm-hmm. in that center. I mean, that created a lot of mixed feelings. So I think that gives you a sense of how residents react. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a question of, as Tracy was saying, like gentrification isn't all bad. There's good and bad, and it's a mixed bag, and it may be good for some people and bad for others or different perspectives, and that's that's the key, right? I mean, right. New York City is 
imminently more uh, safer than it is today. It's safer today than it was 20 years ago. So that's clearly a good thing. But with that has become has come the displacement of many people. So there are pros and cons. Absolutely. But like I said, I I don't understand the phenomenon sometimes of why or how these named places come into a neighborhood and and really start the process of change. You know, I can always find a coffee cart on any corner that I want. Dirty water coffee, as my father used to call it. You're a New Yorker. I I support the New Yorkers, the (laughs) hardworking New Yorkers. I don't care about all this designer crap. I don't think it's just about the product itself, though, with Starbucks. I think it's the growing idea of a third space. You know, you've you've got your home, you have your work, but then in Starbucks, people will go in. Yeah, and they'll they'll dwell there. So it's not just about... Yeah, absolutely. It's not just about the product of, of coffee, it's that, okay, great, there's a third space that we can go to. I'm going to add another interesting anecdote. So, you know, one of the things my team does is a fair amount of rental business, and one of the things that we've seen as of late is obviously there are a lot of concessions in the market, and the idea is that landlords are going to charge these high gross rents, they're going to give concessions, and then what's going to happen is when the tenant comes to renew, they're going to pay off a higher base rent. But what we've actually seen is that tenants basically don't renew, they just go to the next building, and part of the reason they go to the next building is become neighborhoods have become more homogenized, and I can go to almost mm-hmm. any neighborhood and get my Starbucks, mm-hmm. my Bear Burger, my Whole Foods, my Trader Joe's, whatever, my distance, bank, whatever. Yeah, it's all absolutely. kind of, I can live in Midtown East or like the West Village. And yes, they're different, but they're not as different as they once were. So I'll move from Midtown East to whatever, Union Square You've because I'm going to get the same thing. People are less That's location sensitive than they used to be. It used to because have to be, I want 10 square retail. blocks of the West Village or nothing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's all I mean, kind of the same, sort of. It's very true because in the beginning when I started in this business a long time ago, you know, it was very neighborhood dependent. And because there were certain things in neighborhoods, but now, as you guys are saying, everything is pretty much everywhere. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter where you decide. I think the the ultimate decision for for families is a school but or sure. a school district. But other than that, I mean you could live anywhere and get all of these mm-hmm. and there's Amazon so you can order things online too. Yes. So exactly. I mean really you need a whole shit. episode on that. But let's be clear yeah. here. We're not saying that it's no longer unique New York. It is right. still very yeah, much you know, yeah. it, it's not any town USA. Somewhat. Yes. Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Well Amazon that I mean that's a phenomenon. I was talking to a doorman yesterday who I walked into a building and he was completely exasperated and oh, well, yeah, my before I even asked him what was going on, and I know this man for many, many years, and I just turned around and I saw the pile the of boxes, oh. <laughs> and he just said, and I thought, wow. Yeah. And then you saw the pile of Petco boxes that were yours. <laughs> and he was like, Ben's pleasure. No, this wasn't my building. This was another building. My building is just as bad, but this wasn't mine. And I just thought, oh, you poor thing. And he's got to now log it all into the system. And yeah, wait until holiday time. I mean, right. oh, it's okay. nuts. Well, also speaking you can't walk you need in a life jacket to swim through anymore. the lobby. Also speaking of gentrification, um, the first Equinox in the Lower East Side just opened. So yes, there's it did. that. Yes, um, it did. I mean, talk about an area that That's you a good thing, would, though. Yeah, you would never go, you know, where that Whole Foods is now. Like, you would never have gone east of that. And there's so much development over there. So, obviously, they had to bring in Equinox. Um, We have to leave it there. We're live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Uh, We will be right back and continue the conversation right after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. 
However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back again with Matthew Cohen from CORE, Ari Harkov from uh, Halstead Real Estate, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, and John uh, Harrison from Core. So sticking with Brooklyn for a minute, if Tony Monero, and I challenge any of you to remember who Tony Monero was, knew what his parents' Brooklyn house would be worth today, he might not have spent years trying to dance his way out of it. Ideal Properties Group listed 221 79th Street, the three-story Bay Ridge home used in Saturday Night Fever on Tuesday with an asking price of $2.29 million. While the 2472 square foot property's price tag is far above the neighborhood's median sale price of 360, according to StreetEasy, it comes with plenty of modern renovations. So, guys over there in the corner, plenty of renovations, renovated actually really, really nicely. But average price 360 in a neighborhood. Now, this is listing at 2.29 million. What's the deal with that? And will they get that? Ari, will they get that in Bay Ridge? I'm not a Bay Ridge expert, but that sounds like a huge number to me. Is there a Starbucks so, nearby? Mm-hmm. I, I've does, actually does, sold does, does in Bay Power, Ridge. Does Star Power make a difference? I mean, I, I mean, want to know who he is, and I want to know where Bay Ridge is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Bay Ridge is. Oh, so cute, Menchie. Yeah. No, <laughs> like I mean, he tells me all the time, oh, you don't go to Brooklyn. That's not <laughs> Oh, my God. When Vince is like, I took the subway here, and I'm like, you, first of all, you <laughs> took the subway, and you're in Brooklyn. <laughs> so I think part of the Back growth has been from – 
John. The, the general growth in Brooklyn. I mean, um, I think over the last few years, as some people started initially moving out of Manhattan into Brooklyn, then families were driving deeper into some of the boroughs in Brooklyn. But, but Bay Ridge itself has been a strong residential community for many, many years. Yeah. For, for, right. for many, many years and very ethnic in its its uh, history. However, it, when I looked at the price of 2.2, I thought, well, Bay Ridge is great. It's just a little far off the beaten path. Who was willing to pay that? And the first thing that came to my mind was, well, is it star power or movie power or, you know, whatever associated with that house? I mean, I, I, John Travolta never lived in the house. However, you, you, they use it for a movie. I mean, sure. maybe it could be a hair, but you have to look at the fact that there are still a lot of other houses in Bay Ridge and in deeper parts of Brooklyn. They're going for $2 million plus dollars. I mean, much more than $2 million. Yeah, John's right. There's a, um, a lot of the neighborhoods at Bay Ridge borders, like as you're going to Coney Island, are actually extremely wealthy, um, especially yeah. in the um, more Orthodox Jewish Is Syrian. Is one of them? Um, I don't know. Parts of it, there's there's also a lot of Syrian Jews out yeah, there. Like so like yeah. like Joe yeah, Sid, his yeah. house is out there and it's like $10 million. Oh, so wow. there's, there's oh, yeah. like a 5 to $20 million house range okay. out there. Like in, I, I Mid, in Midwood, townhouses, like they start at $2 million. Yeah, the closer you are to the synagogue, the more you pay because you can walk and whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, but Bay Ridge right is an established community. It's been established for many years and there's some extraordinary properties like along Shore Parkway and whatever. But 2.2 still sounds like a big number to me. But also, the house is there large, is a Starbucks there, like too. Yeah. <laughs> right how, next door. How much um, are the real estate taxes? Because that's one thing I've been seeing, as, and you guys can corroborate, yeah. that it's been driving a lot of buyers to Brooklyn it's because your townhouse... Uh, your real estate taxes for the year are the same or less than my condo here yes. in the city. Yes. So, right. Well, you know, it's driving very, a lot very, of families or a lot of people because foot. of tax reform. It definitely, and you know, lower monthly costs, you can have a higher price. Correct. I mean, the condo taxes here in the city are, are out of control compared to houses out in, in the boroughs and in the suburbs. I think, that's definitely I think this is just highlighted because of its star power. I don't think that something in this price point is necessarily um, out of right out well, of the ordinary. To, to borrow a phrase from Ari, I have an anecdote actually about the power of star power. I did actually sell a one-bedroom in a condo in Chelsea a few years ago because the... Um, the purchasers were very excited to have a play date their dog with Surrey Cruz's dog oh because God. she and, oh. and, and Katie Holmes were renting in the penthouse and so they were looking forward to their dogs getting to know each other That's and we actually got more money per square foot than we should have done because of that. So, That's you know, it wasn't like don't double. discount the Most star expensive power. dog of all yeah. time. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. A great segue into getting more money for an apartment or price per square foot is I want to talk about, and these guys uh, can also chime in here too, what constitutes a bedroom in New York City? Now, I have all <laughs> kinds of issues with, you know. The legal definition or the real estate definition? Listen, I a walked into an apartment bed. the other day, a two-bedroom <laughs> two bedroom apartment, and my, my buyer was excited because the price was more in but line with bedroom. what she can pay. And I'm like, guess what? You're going to be in for a surprise because it's not really, and I did it on purpose, you know, to show the difference between she what needs is to not. Budget. <laughs> well, but what's not a real two-bedroom and what is. So. The New York Administrative Code, which its various caveats and upgrades is notorious for being difficult to understand, of course. As such, this is a tricky question to answer. I think it's an easy one. The exact provisions can be found spread out among the Housing Maintenance Code, the Multiple Dwelling Code, the Residential Code, and the Building Code. The following requirements must be met for any living space to be declared a legal bedroom. So what what are they off the top of our heads? You have to have a window. Right, it's a window. Well, it's it's it not just a 10? window. Is it's it like eight by eight, and less, uh, depending on the number of room count, then it can be seven sure. feet wide. A closet. 
Um, if you have a window, it cannot, and, and this is a big deal because I've sold even new development where there's a window and there That's is a huge mm-hmm. amount of space outside of the window, but the lot line was just close enough that it, did, it disqualified it, but it was, a, it was otherwise a perfectly usable room. And this is um, this is a major topic at my family's Jewish holidays, given we're all in real estate. And we, we talk about how the difference between 40 years ago selling real estate now is that, you know, you have those conservative, um, you know, safe structures that the city has given us, which is, you know, we call like light and air. So you have the you have the window, right. you know, you have a closet, and you need the, we add in the air to like make it fluffy. Um, but then these days, you also have so much efficient housing. And efficient housing, whether it's here, or it's in California, or it's in Europe, they're much um, they're much more creative about how they get that light and air in the bedroom. So it really depends because you know you have all these projects that are much more efficient housing, like around WeWorks and whatnot, that have bedrooms that have you know um, transparent. Uh, shutters or or doors or whatnot to the living area that has the light. So there is definitely a there's it's it's a there's a gray area I think these days, yeah. which actually I think makes what we're doing much more interesting. The other thing too is it has to have a minimum ceiling height of eight feet. I I, I kind of didn't re- realize that at least one window with a minimum of twelve square feet. A window that opens out onto a balcony also counts. Here's the one that really got me: access to the bedroom has to be direct. There cannot be a need to pass from one bedroom to reach the other. Now, in the old days, you had, what do we call them? Railroad, Railroad flats, apartments, yeah. Right? So you went from one room to the next, the living room yeah. to the kitchen to the bedroom to the bedroom. So Listen, technically, I'm... they're saying that those are not real. Well, one of them is not a real bedroom if you're, you're walking, walking through. through it. Uh-huh. Wow. So, you know, my, my message out there to the agents is uh, when you're listing an apartment, please be mindful of what the bedroom requirements are. And don't say it's a two-bedroom if it's not. Flex two, flex three. I mean, we got all these creative, you know, artistic words, but really, in reality, what is that space? But this is also you have to also have two means of egress. Okay, entrance and exit, for instance, via a door to a window, you must be able to open both from the inside. Matthew. <laughs> I was going to say, but this is also something over the 10 years that has become so much more, I mean, the real estate board in New York, not to call them out, like they've been much more flexible about this mm-hmm. because, you know, not only this, but you have a, a huge amount of, you know, real estate brokers who are advertising co-ops, advertising square footages, and you're not supposed to do right. that either because right. of the discrepancies. So, well, you know, there, there are multiple things that brokers should and shouldn't be doing. And I just think that there's, because of that. In say, unless you're going to enforce really strict laws and fines, I think there has to be this gray area. And there but, is. But like, we still don't have a proper MLS. Um, and and not to harp, but that's another whole subject. But for example, um, if there was a single centralized MLS where you could list this has X number of bedrooms and uh, let's look at the bonus section, how many additional sleepable rooms are there, yeah, then you could, but you, yeah. but you don't. And so people are trying to find ways to get their listings in front of the right buyers. No one's going to buy, I mean, it's when you're representing a buyer, this is where you really have to educate your buyer that you may love to sleep in this, just know it's not a legal bedroom, but right. as long as you like it and it, sur- it suits your so needs, like then it's cave, fine. Yeah. For All right, bedroom. everybody, we are out of time. That's it for me today. Remember to catch Getting the Band Back Together, a new Broadway show. Fantastic. Thanks to my guest, Alistair Evans, Louis Fazolo, and of course, my esteemed panel. Most of us will never do great things, but we can do small things in a great way. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. 
Thanks for joining us, and we will all see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.